This is the Fantasy Football Podcast, where we take data and convert it into fantasy success. No bias, no hot takes, only victory. This is the Fantasy Alchemist Podcast, and now your host, Dustin Shandry. Welcome into the Fantasy Alchemist Podcast. I'm Dustin Chandry. This is episode 6, recording on September 1st. In today's episode, we're going to finish a four-part series that we had started. And this series looked at uh, a combination of players in Redraft and Dynasty looking at fades and targets. So three episodes ago, we looked at 10 players that we wanted to target in both Redraft and Dynasty Two episodes ago, we looked at players that you'd want to target in Redraft, but fade in Dynasty. The previous episode, we looked at players you'd want to target in Dynasty, but fade in Redraft. In today's episode, these are players that you want to be fading in both Redraft and Dynasty. These are players that I think will underperform their ADP from a Redraft standpoint, and because of that, you're going to see a depreciation in their Dynasty value. So, uh, we'll finish out this series and we'll get ready for the start of the upcoming season. So let's find out which players you should be fading this upcoming season in redraft and should be looking to unload in Dynasty. So I have two quarterbacks that fit this profile of guys that I am fading in redraft and dumping in Dynasty. We won't spend a ton of time on this. If you want to go in-depth, you can listen to episode two of the Fantasy Alchemist podcast where we looked at a handful of quarterback twos that we were fading in both Redraft and Dynasty. Both these guys will be covered in-depth in that episode. But the first one I want to focus on is Sam Howell of the Washington Commanders, who was named the starting quarterback after only playing one game uh, last year, starting the last game of the season against the Cowboys team, who had nothing to play for at the time. Uh, Of course, Sam Howell was a fifth-round pick in 2022, and the reason we are fading him is strictly just based on the history of quarterbacks with that draft capital and the lack of success that they've had in the National Football League. Uh, You can look uh, between 2012 and 2022, there's been 65 quarterbacks that have been selected in day three of the NFL draft. Uh, The only prominent ones are Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott. Uh, Both those guys were fourth-round picks. Uh, So once you eliminate fourth-round picks from the equation, the number of fifth-round picks, or sixth or seventh, when you combine all of them together, uh, the hit rate on those guys is incredibly slim. In fact, you can't really find a single NFL starter in the group. The best-case scenario are guys that you could find who are starters maybe for half a season. Uh, I think like a Gardner Minshew type who was a sixth-round pick uh, to Jacksonville. In fact, if you look at quarterbacks who were selected in the fifth round and the percentage of them uh, that went on to play in at least 16 games in their career, it's only 10%. Uh, And again, that's play in their careers. We're talking about a group like Minshew, Trevor Simeon, Jeff Driscoll. That's the sort of quarterback from a draft capital standpoint that we are typically seeing and including side by side when we talk about Sam Howe. Now, the other side of this too is you got... A coaching staff that's very much on the hot seat, uh, new ownership uh, that is going to kind of be eager to make their mark. Uh, And right behind Sam Howell, you got a guy in Jacoby Brissett who's a competent, professional starting quarterback in this league. Right, Sam Howell has played in one career game compared to Jacoby Brissett, who's played in 73 
career games. And then the other quarterback we want to be fading as well as Packers quarterback, Jordan Love, who will be taking over as the starting quarterback for Aaron Rodgers. Of course, Love was drafted in 2020, so he's had to wait a long time uh, for his opportunity. And what's interesting is we have an incredibly small sample uh, to look at when it comes to Jordan Love's uh, regular season performance. In fact, of all the first-round quarterbacks selected in the last decade, Jordan Love has had the fewest pass attempts of all of them. Currently, he has only 83 pass attempts in regular season games. Trey Lance is next at 102, and then the guys after them are guys who are either at best career backups in the league, and most of them are out of the league when you talk about guys like Paxton Lynch, Johnny Manziel, Josh Rosen. Uh, a lot of those guys are in the two, three, four hundred range of career attempts. Jordan Love right now with 83 career attempts. And Jordan Love had less than 60% completion rate in that small sample. Uh, I don't think he has the most athletic uh, profile uh, from an athleticism standpoint. Uh, his rushing yards in the in the games that he's played is not great. He has zero rushing touchdowns on 130 snaps played. And for Jordan Love, the two games where he had at least 30 snaps in a game, both games he was below average, below zero in expected points above average per play, EPA per play. Uh, one game he was slightly below zero, and the next, the other game in week 18, he was almost near negative 0.5, which is, I mean, that, that that's an awful score uh, to have for an EPA per play standpoint. He scored nine fantasy points in that week 18 game. He had 13 in the other game where he had more than 30 snaps. So expected points per play, terrible uh small sample size historically completely misaligned with what we see with other first round quarterbacks and the and the surrounding roster around him you know it's it's just like him it's young and cheap um this is this is a team that they're relying heavily on Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and their defense and they think that's going to be the key t- to their success um right now there's nothing to indicate that Jordan Love can elevate uh, position players around him uh, on what is a very, very young uh, roster of players. So from a redraft standpoint, if you're in one quarterback leagues, these guys are probably just off the board. They should not be drafted right now. Jordan Love would be quarterback 24. Sam Howe would be quarterback 28. If you are in a two-quarterback super flex league from a redraft standpoint, these are guys who could be your quarterback too. I would highly recommend you avoid them and go with you know somebody else, uh, uh, even a, a Bryce Young, Matt Stafford, uh, Mac Jones, even uh, I think both those I think all those names will be more reliable throughout the season. I think Sam Howell is a guy who I think will be replaced at least by midseason. Um, Jordan Love, I think maybe it's fifty fifty that he could lose his starting job by the start of next season. Uh, and then from a dynasty standpoint, uh, the rankings are a little bit higher. Jordan Love is quarterback twenty one right now, and Sam Howell is quarterback twenty six. So from a super flex or uh, two quarterback standpoint in dynasty, these are guys at their absolute peak value that you can still get a pretty good premium on. You can go out to our Twitter page at FF Alchemist Pod, check out some recent trades that we found, including both of those guys. I think you would be surprised what you can still get, uh, especially even for a guy like Sam Howe, who, who's rising pretty quickly as we head towards the start of the season. Uh, and look, the, the, this guy could crater pretty quick from a dynasty value standpoint. So uh, Hal and Love are two guys I think that will underperform this year. And because of that, I 
we'd be surprised if both of these guys have starting jobs comes next season. Uh, so you should be looking to unload and get uh, some foundational pieces, whether it's future picks or young players uh, that will be more reliable as we head into the 2024 season. And then moving on from quarterback, the only wide receiver that I have as a fade in both redraft and dynasty is Bears wide receiver DJ Moore. And you can go back to episode one where we did a deep dive on the topic was Justin Fields passing for 4,000 yards. I think we definitively said that is, I won't say impossible, but it's definitely improbable uh, given where his uh, passing yards and stats were last season. And then we had some discussion about really what that means more so uh, for the rest of the offense and specifically DJ Moore and how he's overvalued. So you can look, you can listen more in depth uh, into that episode, but I'll touch on the high, high water marks. DJ Moore right now, wide receiver 22 in redraft. We're talking early to middle of the fifth round. And then from a dynasty standpoint, he's actually inside the top 20 right now at wide receiver 19. So in that episode, we considered that the Chicago Bears had the fewest pass attempts of any team last year. And I know there's a lot of optimism that that will increase this upcoming season, but we also looked at historically every team that had the lowest number of pass attempts each year over the last decade, what was their average increase the following year, even for quarterbacks and teams that had the same quarterback the following season. And it was usually pretty small. We were talking about two and a half to three pass attempts uh, the following year was the increase and that's attempts. So the passing volume with Justin Fields and what is a run first style offense is not likely to uh, increase as significant uh, as many people think with the addition of DJ Moore. On top of that, you have a team that has a low volume pass attempt with a high fragmentation of the target share, right? So not a lot of attempts and the attempts that do go around, you have DJ Moore who will probably have the highest target share but then you have Darnell Mooney, you have Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, you have three different running backs, right? There is a lot of skill position talent that the Bears have invested in around uh, Justin Fields. So this is going to be low volume offense, high fragmentation in terms of the target share, and that just does not uh, lead to a successful fantasy season for what you would consider the highest uh, wide receiver uh, on that team. So I went back and looked at teams where um, the quarterback had the lowest number of passing attempts uh, that season, and we corresponded that to how well the highest scoring wide receiver for that team in year uh, finished. And for the most part, you found a lot of wide receivers who finished somewhere in the late 20s to late 30s, maybe even into the 40s. Um, so we're talking, you know, 25 to 35 is a pre- pretty reasonable expectation expectation of where you would think DJ Moore would finish on a low volume offense. This guy right now is wide receiver 19 in dynasty and is near the top 20 uh, from a redraft ADP standpoint. So he is already being priced in at his ceiling and there's a lot of ways uh, that his dynasty value can go south this upcoming season. So for that reason, DJ Moore, I think has to be a sell right now in dynasty. And there's so much depth at the position that I think you can get uh, a tr- basically a trade down with uh, some additional value for DJ Moore. For example, if you could get something like Chris Godwin plus or Deontay Johnson plus, Amari Cooper plus, uh, if you're contending, Keenan Allen plus, I think you can get all of those right now for DJ Moore. And I think those are at least parallel 
if not actual improvements uh, of what uh, DJ Moore will do against any of those other respective players this upcoming season. And then the first of four running backs that I have in this group that I'm fading in both redraft and dynasty, and this is going to be the highest ranked player overall uh, from a redraft standpoint that I'm going to talk about, and that is Chargers running back Austin Eckler, who is pretty consistently in the middle of the first round, maybe er even early first round. He's uh, running back two right behind Christian McCaffrey uh, in ADP. And then from a dynasty standpoint, he is currently running back six, even at the age of 28. And Eckler's been an absolute fantasy stud uh, for the last four years. Last year, of course, he was running back one on the season with over 370 points. The previous year, he was running back two. Uh, three years ago, he was running back 26 on only 10, game, 10 games played. Uh, and then four years ago, he was running back four on the season. But when you compare what you've heard out of the team, and even from Austin Eckler, uh, this offseason compared to what was happening last season, I think it's clear that they felt like they overused him out of necessity. Uh, when you consider the fact that Keenan Allen missed basically the first half of the season, Mike Williams was hurt. A um, handful of other guys were just in and out of the lineup. Uh, of course, Justin Herbert had a pretty serious rib injury that he had to play through most of the year. And Eckler was kind of the one constant uh, that they were able to rely on in that offense. So really what I looked at was I kind of wanted to get a snapshot of what was Austin Eckler's performance when both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were on the field. So what was interesting is that his snap count uh, was pretty consistent. He was averaging about 40 to 42 snaps a game, regardless of whether or not uh, those two guys were in the game. What stood out dra drastically, though, is that when Allen and Williams, or even just one of them, uh, were out of the lineup, his target count, his target volume, drastically increased. So uh, when Allen and Williams were both in the game, Austin Eckler's average target count was just a little under five targets a game. When one of those guys were out, Eckler's target count jumped to 8.3. And then when both of those guys were out, his target count jumped to 10.5. And, and of course, obviously his receptions increased uh, along with that. You know, When both those guys were uh, in the lineup, he was getting about four receptions a game. When both those guys were out of the lineup, he was getting seven receptions a game. That's an extra three points a game uh, that Austin Eckler was getting when Williams and Allen were out of the lineup. And the Chargers have made a lot of investment in their offense this offseason, right? You bring in Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. They want to drive the ball down the field more. I think that hurts Austin Eckler that he's not getting all these check down targets that he got last year. Uh, they drafted Quentin Johnston, uh, a deep threat in the first round uh, of last season or, or last NFL draft. And Eckler is really kind of dependent on, one, his targets, and two, his touchdowns, right? The last two seasons, Austin Eckler has been one of the top touchdown earners in the league right last year he had 18 touchdowns the previous year he had 20 touchdowns and when you look at his rate of total opportunities which I consider uh, rushing attempts plus targets and look at his rate of converting those into touchdowns the last two years was pretty exceptional in fact the last two seasons Austin Eckler has had over 300 total opportunities each season and again an opportunity I'm counting that as rushing attempts plus targets so he's had over 300 opportunities each of the last two seasons. And for each opportunity, he's scoring a touchdown about every 16, 17 opportunities, right? One touchdown per 17 opportunities. That's rushing attempts plus targets. 
and he's finding the end zone. It's, a, it's an incredible rate. But again, the issue I have is that this guy reworked his contract last offseason. This team is adamant that he was overworked and overused last season. I think they absolutely want to scale him back and try and keep the same level of efficiency that they've had in previous years. So I think in the first round from a redraft standpoint, I would be passing on Austin Eckler and I would be getting a stud wide receiver. Uh, if you're going, Even if you're drafting late first round, I would go wide receiver and then cross my fingers that maybe I could either get Derrick Henry or uh, Tony Pollard uh, there in the early to mid-second would be my target on what to do from a redraft standpoint. And then in Dynasty, look, if you're a contender, Austin Eckler's an incredible guy to go get. I think he helps you win a championship. But if you're not in that stage right now, um, this is a guy who I think this will be his final season as a top 10 dynasty running back. Uh, after this, there's no guarantee that he is back with the Chargers. Uh, obviously, he would be 29 at that point. Um, and there's just a lot of uncertainty as to what his fantasy value would look like uh, going beyond this season. So if you're not a contender, Austin Eckler is a guy who you can get a pretty significant return on. And you should be doing that now uh, before we get too far into the season. And then a younger running back I am fading pretty hard in both redraft and dynasty is Jaguars running back Travis Etn. Right now he is running back 12 uh, from an ADP standpoint. We're talking late third round. And then from a dynasty standpoint, uh, kind of a fringe top 10 running back right now at running back 11 uh, overall. So Etienne, his rookie year, he was lost to a foot injury last year, was effectively his rookie season in year number two. He finished as running back 17 on the season. Uh, however, that's a little inflated uh, because he played 16 games, so on a points-per-game basis, he was outside the top 20. I think he was 21st. Uh, and then uh, he had 11 touchdowns, nine rushing and two receiving touchdowns last year as well. So 16 games, 11 total touchdowns. I think the one thing that concerns me right now, and we'll have to monitor uh, throughout the preseason and maybe the first two games of the regular season, is what is ETN's snap share going to be like uh, this upcoming season? If you look at his snap share last year across the entire uh, season, he had almost 60% uh, of all running back snaps in Jacksonville last year went to ETN. Uh, that's a pretty high mark. I looked at every team's top fantasy running back and what their snap share was. And there were only six teams, six running backs uh, last year in the league that had a higher snap share uh, for their top running back. Most teams were probably in the 45 to 55 range, and ETN was pushing just a hair under 60%. Um, obviously, that varied greatly um, from the early part of the season when James Robinson uh, was present as the backup. Uh, from weeks one through six, Travis Etienne's snap share uh, those weeks when James Robinson was with the team had a 48% snap share. After James Robinson was traded from week 7 through 18, Etienne's snap share jumped to 67%, right? So he was getting half of the snaps with Robinson. He was getting two-thirds of the snaps without Robinson. This, of course, is relevant because the Jags went and invested a third-round pick in rookie running back Tank Bigsby. Uh, and I think the camp reports and the preseason uh, highlight reel, I think, indicates that Bixby's going to have a role in this offense. And if the snap share for ETN gets closer to 50% as opposed to the uh, 67, two-thirds uh, that he was getting without Robinson last year, that's going to affect his 
dynasty or his uh, fantasy projections uh, by a pretty decent amount. On top of that, ETN had one of the worst targets per routes run rate last season of 27 running backs that ran at least 200 routes. ETN ranked 25th out of 27 running backs last year in the number of targets he was getting per routes run. Then you add in the fact that this team went out and got Calvin Ridley, who a lot of people suspect is now going to be the alpha, the wide, the wide receiver one on this team. So he wasn't getting a lot of targets to begin with. Now you add more competition in his backfield. You add an elite wide receiver that's going to command targets uh, in the rest of the offense. It's not a recipe where ETN is going to get as many snaps as he did last year. He's not going to get as many targets as he did last year. And quite frankly, I don't even think he was that great last year. I think he was more of an albatross week to week on your roster than he was a winner. Case in point, let's look at this. He played 16 games last year. He he exceeded 15 fantasy points in only 25% of his games. Four out of 16 games, he got more than 15 points. Only 19% of his games, so three out of 16 games, he scored more than 20 points. That is well below average for some of the other top running backs that you would be considering in that same range. Um, for example, among the top 30 running backs last year in total fantasy scoring, 18 of them scored at least 15 fantasy points in a third of their games. ETN only did it in a quarter. 10 of them scored at least 20 points in a quarter of their games. Uh, ETN could only do it in a fifth of his games. So there's a pretty wide variance uh, for ETN's performance compared to the rest of the running backs who are going right in the same range. On top of that, Travis ETN had six games last year, six, where he scored less than 10 points. He only had three games where he scored more than 20. So twice as many times he was basically killing your team that week as opposed to helping you to a victory. Compared to a lot of other running backs in the league, there's only a handful of guys who kind of fit that profile and that volume where they had significantly more weeks where they hurt you than helped you. And the only two other guys that even met that metric last year were Miles Sanders and Alvin Kamara. Neither of those guys go anywhere near Travis Etienne in redraft ADP or are valued right now anywhere near him from a dynasty standpoint. So Etienne is one of my clear um, sells right now, and I'm avoiding him right now in every redraft league that I have. And if you do have him in a dynasty league, uh, he, he is an obvious uh, sell candidate for me, and I think you should be getting um, at least a 2024 first, maybe a young wide receiver back as a starting point in any trade negotiation. But I think ETN's value is at his absolute peak uh, going into this season. And then the next running back is a little bit of an older running back, 28 years old. That's Saints running back Alvin Kamara. Of course, Kamara is going to have to serve a three-game suspension to start the season. Um, but overall, I mean, this guy has been one of the most dominant and consistent fantasy performers since he's entered the football or entered the National Football League, uh, dating back to 2017. Uh, when he entered the league, he's every single year he's been a top 10 fantasy running back up until last season when he finished as running back 16 on the season. Now, the reason he has been so dominant is as a running back, he has the two things that we desperately won out of a fantasy running back. He commands targets and he finds the end zone. Uh, and historically, he has been great and elite at both of those categories. But I also think the writing is on the wall right now that Kamara's 
reign as an elite fantasy producer is likely coming to an end. Um, the last two seasons, his target rate uh, has come down. The number of targets he has seen on a per-game basis uh, has declined quite a bit from... 2018 to 2020, he was seeing about seven targets a game. The last two seasons, that has come down to about five targets a game. Uh, of course, the number of touchdowns he scored last year was a career low, only four touchdowns. The previous year, he had nine. The previous year before that, two years ago, he had 21 touchdowns. So he's gone from 21 to four uh, over the last two seasons. You add into the fact that the Saints have made moves in, in terms of uh giving themselves protections both short-term and long-term against Alvin Kamara, right? They put free agency money into Jamal Williams. They put draft capital into Kendra Miller. Uh, I think the writing is on the wall that this is most likely Kamara's last year with the Saints. So uh, coming off a three-game suspension, he is likely to continue to see decreased volume in terms of his targets. And then if Jamal Williams, who led the league last year in rushing touchdowns, takes goal line work away from Alvin Kamara, uh, I think you are looking at uh, a bust from an ADP standpoint, and then I think you're looking at some pretty sharp uh, value depreciation from a dynasty standpoint, given what I think will be a poor performance this year on top of what is likely his last year with the Saints. The last running back I'll mention is Chiefs running back Isaiah Pachenko. Right now he is running back 28 in redraft, early 7th round. And then from a dynasty standpoint, goes around the same range, running back 30 right now, ranked uh, among running backs for dynasty. Obviously, Pachenko was a rookie last year, a seventh round draft pick, so very weak draft capital. Uh, Came on a little bit later into the season uh, in what was a pretty split backfield from a usage standpoint. But look, here's the thing we don't like about Pachenko. We don't like the draft capital, seventh rounder. Uh, We don't like the fact that from a snap share, he doesn't see a lot of volume. In fact, there were only two games last year where he had at least 30 snaps. Uh, On top of that, even his top top end fantasy production is not very high. Um, He only had two games where he went over 15 points uh, last season. So his role in this offense is very much a between-the-20s grinder. Um, He's not generating... Heavy yardage. He only had five touchdowns last year. Uh, In fact, he's only averaging about one target a game. Of course, Jarek McKinnon is the Chiefs running back I think you want because he's the guy who gets the targets. And even in the red zone, they're much more pass-happy with Patrick Mahomes as opposed to running the football with Pachenko. So I think this is a guy who's overvalued strictly because he's listed as the RB1 in what is considered the elite offense in the league with the Chiefs. But... This is a guy that the Chiefs have no allegiance to long-term given his draft capital. I think this will probably be his high-water mark this upcoming season. Uh, Also coming off an injury, too. Um, He had shoulder surgery this season. Uh, I think the expectation is that he will be ready to go for week one, but I think you will consistently see the Chiefs rotate uh, their three running backs in and out uh, throughout the season. So I think that really caps all of their values. And of course, Pachenko as the highest ranked one of the group, I think is the one you need to be avoiding not only in redraft, but I think you can get uh, still some decent value from a dynasty standpoint and a guy who may not even have a starting running back job come next off season. And then the last guy I'll talk about on today's show, our lone tight end to spotlight. And as much as it pains me because I love this guy, 
but that is 49ers tight end George Kittle. Um, right now, from an ADP standpoint, he is tight end four. Um, we're looking at late fourth, early fifth round uh, from a redraft standpoint. And then in Dynasty, he goes, he's around the same range, tight end six right now. Uh, he will be 30 years old uh, by the end of this season. Now, since 2018, this guy's been obviously pretty dominant within the tight end position. He has four of the last five years, he has finished as a top five tight end. And the one year that he didn't, he missed half of the season and was still a, tight, a top tight end uh, on a point-per-games basis. But I think what's alarming for George Kittle in his historical trend is the following. His targets per game has decreased every single year uh, dating back to his uh, first breakout year in 2018. He has gone from 8.5 to 7.9 to 7.6 to 6.8 to 5.7 last year. So his number of targets per games played is consistently decreasing. That obviously corresponds to uh, his number of receptions per game has de been decreasing. His reception yardage has been decreasing. And then I think George Kittle is also going to see some negative touchdown regression coming his way. Um, last year, he had 11 touchdowns. By far, uh, his the most number of touchdowns he scored in his career. If you date back to his first season in 2017, his number of touchdowns by year has gone 2 5 5 2 six right he's averaging about four to five touchdowns a year and then last year he spikes at 11 on what is his lowest number of targets since his rookie year so something kind of has to give there from a from a target standpoint where that touchdown rate is just not likely to continue given where his target trend is heading and then the last thing i'll mention too and i think this applies to all 49ers this offseason from a redraft standpoint is that there are just a lot of mouths to feed in San Francisco. Um, and uh, I basically put together a matrix that looked at the number of top ranked wide receiver running back and tight ends ranked in the top 150 from an ADP standpoint. And then I looked also at how does that correlate to what is the ADP ranking for the quarterback uh, of that team. San Francisco has five players that have a top 150 uh, ranking in the ADP, and a lot of them obviously are very high when you consider McCaffrey, Kittle, Debo, Brandon Ayuk. However, their quarterback's ADP ranking, Brock Purdy, is pretty low, right? One of the lowest in the league. He's pretty consistently outside that quarterback two into the quarterback three range. So you have a quarterback who's not ranked highly that is, that is supposed to support a lot of top-end talent. Uh, that completely goes against the trend that we see with other top-end offenses like Kansas City, Buffalo, Philly, the Chargers, uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, even teams like Chicago and Jacksonville. So San Francisco looks like a complete outlier on this chart that I'm looking at. So that concerns me of, one, Kittle's historical trends are going the wrong way given his age and his volume. And then two, there's just too much competition right now in San Francisco uh, given where Brock Purdy's production uh, is expected to be this season. So that'll wrap up uh, episode six of the Fantasy Alchemist podcast and the end of our four-part series. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can find us on Twitter at FFAlchemistPod. A lot of the charts and visualizations I allude to here in the podcast you can find 
on Twitter. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to our feed and uh, follow us uh, on Twitter or X as we are now supposed to call it. So for Dustin Chandry, I'll sign off here on the Fantasy Alchemist podcast. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Alchemist podcast. You can follow the pod on Twitter at FFAlchemistPod or email us at FantasyAlchemistPodcast at gmail.com.